Hi, I'm April Morley. I'm co-founder of Genius Drive and the Enterprise Value Collective. And I'm Tom Pasello, the ROI guy. This podcast is a service of the Enterprise Value Collective, a community for business value-focused leaders and practitioners, and is sponsor sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive. Our mission is to help accelerate and optimize the value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout your customer lifecycle, and help us understand the best practices in that. We've got Dr. Jeff Collins. He's a 15 plus year value veteran, and he's currently the senior VP leading the value program and delivery for the business spend management firm, Coupa Software. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, when I first got involved and had the honor of working with uh, Coupa, it was just before the book Value as a Service was released. Your CEO, uh, Rob Bernstein, came out with that book. And um, it really was a game changer. Can you define what value as a service means to you? Yeah, uh, I think for, for me, and this is really, I think, what separated Coupa's approach to the the delivery of uh, business spend management software was we weren't so focused on feature function. I think a lot of a lot of technology companies tend to be hyper focused on feature function. Uh, we were really focused on uh, measurable business value. Rob used to say that if uh, one of our customers if they couldn't measure the impact of Coupa on their business, they probably shouldn't have invested in the in the technology. So value as a service is more than just sort of a slogan. It was a commitment to deliver measurable business value for our customers so that when, and, and being in the ROI business, right? Uh, it's one thing to generate an ROI. It's another thing to deliver on the promise of an ROI. And Rob's commitment to our customers was that we were going to deliver. We weren't just going to promise an ROI. We were going to deliver an ROI. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's really the uh, ultimate support to have the CEO on board with any initiative. I'm really curious, you know, what that experience was like for you when you uh, were coming back to the organization and there was a book out about value as a service. Like, what impact did that have on you and the team? So, there are a lot of organizations that throw the word value around. Uh, and it, it, it almost becomes meaningless in many organizations. They just say value this, value that. And the, the commitment to measurable business value, that this is who this was going to be in our DNA, mm -hmm. meant that the organization was more than just a nice to have. We weren't just a, um, oh, yeah, we have some guys that can help you build a business case, right? It was really a commitment to maximizing customer lifecycle value. And that, that is, that's transformative, right? It's not, it's not a sales motion. It is really a transformational motion to build, um, to build, help be partners to build our customers' businesses. Yeah. The book was Did released. Did you explain that the customers responded to that as well? Because like you said, it's transformational. So it made a difference for the internal stakeholders. But what difference did you see in the customer's experience? Yeah. So I think a lot of people have been sold to them. I mean, in fact, everybody has been sold to. We've all, we bought cars, right? We know what that feeling is like. And when you come in and you... I think sell to someone, 
there is a relationship that is not necessarily the the optimal relationship. It's not a partnership. It's 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 a sales relationship and a you know a customer relationship. But when you commit to the delivery of value, it changes the nature of that relationship, right? Um, the the selling motion ultimately ends up in the commodification of whatever it is you're trying to 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 sell to the customer. But when you're a partner, what you're actually saying is we're going to come in and we're going to we're going to help you run your business better. We're going to commit to delivering again measurable business value. More importantly though, as partners, we're going to continually to improve each other's business. So it isn't a unidirectional relationship. It's a bidirectional relationship where the customer is saying, "Look, the, the, you're helping us here, but you could do better. We could we could do better if the and in our case, technology. If the technology delivered these sorts of outcomes, we would be even better off. And so then they become really innovation partners, uh, and and it's the kind of relationship that you want to foster that unfortunately doesn't happen as often as as I think we would all like to see it happen. Yeah, and I could remember visiting the offices, Jeff, and just seeing the book everywhere. And it would be handed to you when you walked in and you registered. And it really did become a part of that DNA on engagement. And it was 2016. I think it was pretty revolutionary for a CEO to come up and says, look, we don't exist unless we're delivering true, quantifiable value to our customers. And I think Rob is going out on a pretty big limb with that. And like, we don't deserve to exist without it, I think is something that he said in the book. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, the, I, I think my experience at Coop has been, has been, I hope it's not unique, but I think it probably is unique in that from the very beginning, we were committed to delivering measurable value that you could see in a P&L. Um, the, our CEO, as you said, was, was committed. He was so committed. He wrote a book and then he followed it up by the way with another book. If you don't have that, I'd be happy I to send have it to that you. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and what the other, the other part of this that I think you can't discount is the impact it had on our culture. Yeah. Uh, and, and ensuring customer success became one of there's sort of three, three things that we, uh, you know, corporate values, if you will, and but ensuring customer success was was first and foremost what we were there to do, and success was defined in that our customers again had to be able to realize the value of their investment, and that the only way to do that is is by having again business impact and being able to see it in a P and L. Yeah, and. As we looked at the program that you created to support this big vision and goal, so I think in one way it gave you that executive support that, you know, few some would say they have, but few to the level that Rob gave you as the CEO. Um, but it also put a lot of pressure on the group to do things differently. It wasn't just, okay, here's a business case service and we'll set it up to quantify the business value. It yeah. was different. So I want to go through and talk about some of the elements of the value program that you created to support value as a service that I think were a little bit different. One of the things right off the bat was it wasn't about the numbers. It was about the story that those numbers told. And storytelling to me was so prominent and something that we don't see a lot of times 
we get handed a model and say, okay, we're doing value. Here's our spreadsheet model. And it's a whole bunch of numbers and, you know, it's good that it's quantified, but it doesn't tell the story. Talk about the storytelling element of what you created. Yeah. You know, I I started as an academic, right? And uh, I uh, was an economics professor and I I taught at a a Southern university. And one of the coming from, I, I grew up in the West and my parents were from the Midwest and we were sort of get to it, you know, tell us what you want to tell us. And then you go to the South and, and everything's a story, right? Mm-hmm. That you don't, you don't immediately, in fact, it's almost rude to just jump into it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of art of storytelling becomes really important because it contextualizes the numbers and, and anybody, and I've heard this from customers, you know, we, the, when you first start interacting with them, like, yeah, we've got business cases. We've seen business cases. We've seen ROIs. We've seen it, seen it, seen it. And they're right. They have, right? Everybody has a shelf filled with three ring binders of business cases that were delivered to them. They put them on the shelf and nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. So when you come in, you, in order to differentiate yourself, which, you know, is, is, is how you, how you win, you have to be able to contextualize the why Koopa. You know, it, and it's the classic, you know, why do anything? Why do it now? Why do why do it with Koopa? Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the commitments we made is to say, we're going to start out with what is it as a business you're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. People would say, well, we want to we want to process invoices faster. But why? Mm-hmm. You know, what is that? What is that? What is processing invoices faster get you? And I said, well, right now we we can't take advantage of negotiated early payment discount terms on those on with our customers and go, okay, so why is that important? Well, it frees cash. Ah, it frees cash. Why do you want the free cash? Oh, we want the free cash because we're growing through acquisition and we want to make sure that we have sufficient capital in order to acquire companies in order to build our top line, right? And diversify our revenue streams and blah, 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 blah. So if you start, so again, if you just build a business case, Hey, we want to, we want to, to process invoices faster. You would begin and end with there's an efficiency play and there's an effectiveness play. You're going to get some early payment discounts. You might extend days payable outstanding, and you're also going to reduce the amount of time it takes. So maybe reduce the effort and some businesses even want to reduce heads. So mm-hmm. those are, that's, that's, that's the nuts and bolts. That's mm-hmm. the, the, the numbers part of that conversation. But then, and this is one of my favorites. One of my favorite anecdotes from working with our customers is working with Walmart. And uh, we were building a business case with Walmart and not surprisingly, they're a big company. So the value was quite substantial, but even though it's a big number, it would be a massive number to the three of us on, on this, on this call. When you look at Walmart, they're like, eh, it's a rounding error. We probably, they probably spend that dollar amount that we were going to save them in buying Christmas tree lights every year, just in the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. So is it a big number? It's a big number, but is it really a big number? So you have to translate that going back to your story idea. You have to translate that into something that's meaningful to Mm -hmm. them. So what we did is we looked at the uh, annual profitability of their stores. What's what, what is the annual profitability of a store? And then you take the number, right? And you divide it by the annual profitability and you get the number of new stores they would have to open in order to to realize that bottom line impact. That, that again, that translates the number into something that's meaningful mm-hmm. because they know how difficult it is to open new stores. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. 
And that makes a lot of sense. I guess it depends on what you compare it to, whether or not it's a large number. So I love that example of really comparing it to something that makes it real. Um, so I think you had talked about you had in the past that you had leveraged automation and really worked to improve it over time. I'd love to hear more about that process. Yeah. So I want to go back to something that Tom said earlier around the the. Uh, I wish I could remember exactly how you put it, but but you, I think you implied there was sort of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. To and I, I never thought of it as I have not thought during my career at Coupa uh, being under pressure to perform. What I've mm -hmm. seen is the the permission to be entrepreneurial awesome. and that mm -hmm. has been i think liberating right so to to your point april about automation early on uh probably four years into my career at coupa or so had only been uh supporting the the global team for maybe a year year and a half um we had been taking customer data and because the reality is in the is in the data. You translate that into a story, as we talked about before. But the reality is in the customer data, and um, you know we were getting very massive data files, uh, sometimes multiple files that we had to collate. And I, I mean, I, I'm pretty good in Excel, but once you once you get a file that's beyond the capabilities of Excel, I needed help, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, we put together a, a business case for a data analysis team and walked into Rob's office, sat down in front of him and said, this is what we want to do. And in about five minutes, we had, we'd only been pitching for about five minutes because you pitch. And he goes, I get it. It's a great idea. Go do it. So he gave us budget. We went and started hiring people and we started taking data. Now, in order to scale that organization, we had to automate. Mm -hmm. And so what we've been doing and this has been ongoing. This isn't something we did five years ago or two years ago. It's something we do, we're continuing to do every day is think about how can we automate those processes in order to deliver our insights to the field as quickly as possible. One of the types of analyses that we automated, or we actually were in the process of re-automating is something called the supplier match. So in our game, right, our customers when they they want to know what's the probability of my success, not just what the ROI is, what's the probability of realizing the ROI. Mm -hmm. I often talk about a risk-adjusted real rate of return mm -hmm. on an investment in Coupa. Part of the, the probability of, of succeeding comes from whether or not the suppliers that they have are familiar with Coupa or interacting with Coupa in some way. So when we take customer data, we get, the, again, these large data files. And then what we do is we we um, run them against a reference database of all the suppliers that are in Coupa. Now, as you can imagine, those the, those companies that are customers, they might have I BM I period B period M period all lowercase mm -hmm. I period B period M period all uppercase. They could have I don't know you know the the, the name written out. There's there's dozens of ways that some of these suppliers um, can be in any given customers supplier master. Mm -hmm. So what we had to do is create automation because it's very tedious to go through and go, oh, that's IBM. Mm -hmm. We had to create automation that said, we've seen IBM 20 different ways. These are all the ways we've seen it. And then when you, you automate to run the reference, you look at what's what it looks like in the customer's data file and say, oh, we're pretty sure we have a 90% probability with 90% sort of certainty that that whatever is IBM is actually IBM that we've seen before. Does that make sense? Yeah. But all if you had to just rely on people 
people, person hours to do that, it could be a very laborious process. So what we've done is written scripts in Python that run against, run the customer's data against these reference databases to automate that process. And then we can go into a customer and say, 65, 70% of your suppliers are already interacting with Coupa. Moreover, we can tell you how they interact with Coupa. And that's very powerful information that fleshes out the whole story of why Coupa. Yeah, and is using their specific data to do it. A couple of other areas where I know you've leveraged data. One is you publish an index of the value delivered um, and you know the cost of doing nothing and the value delivered. And that's kind of a quarterly, I think it's a quarterly industry report, if not I don't know if you do it annually or quarterly. Yeah, let me. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's there's sort of two things. I think you're okay. you're you're a bit on both. So let me let me talk about two things. The first thing we do is we publish an annual benchmark report. Okay. Which which talks specifically about how our best in class customers are performing against a set of common sort of uh, KPIs, yes. about twenty KPIs, I think. Um, what's interesting about that is that uh, well, that's something that we publish that's consumed sort of widely globally, we can also do the same uh, sort of benchmarking exercise at the industry level and then at a peer group level. Mm -hmm. So it really goes very granular, down to a very granular level in terms of, you know, what are what are Coupa's best in class customers um, at the industry level or at the peer level achieving? But we also, we do another thing. And I think this is what you're really getting at. It's something called the business spend index, mm -hmm. which as a as a former academic economist and and now someone who's fortunate enough to work with a lot of data, uh, it really excites me. And what that allows us to do, the business spend it allows us to do is, if you understand what Coupa does, we facilitate buying. And within uh, businesses, that buying process takes time, right? So you, mm -hmm. you begin with a purchase requisition. It ultimately, after approvals, becomes a purchase order. It goes to a supplier. The supplier has uh, time may have, need time to um, fulfill, and then there's delivery time. So it can be you know two, three months before somebody s expresses demand for something, and until that invoice actually shows up, and then another thirty days till the invoice is paid. If you think about what GDP is, it's the it is the aggregate of all those paid invoices, mm -hmm. right? At least in part mm -hmm. on the business side. Yeah, we see the expression of demand two, three four, five, six months before it actually finds its way into GDP. So what we're able to do is provide a leading economic indicator, sort of a near casting model that says, hey, based on what we're seeing and how that behavior is different than what it was last quarter or the quarter before or the quarter before that, we think GDP is going to go up mm -hmm. or it's going to go down. And then we actually estimate what we think the percentage change is going to be in GDP. Uh, and so that... That is, a, I think, a very cool example of what's possible if you have information and, again, the, the, the freedom to be entrepreneurial. I mean, this, this idea came from Rob, actually. Rob said, we have great data. Why can't we do something like this? And we said, well, we can. Let's figure it out. And we did. And it's, it's been very exciting. Yeah, yeah, ADP has an index like that on the payroll side. You know, you guys have it on the spend side. And I think that's awesome. And it's the economist in you that's wanting to break out. I totally love it. Another data point um, or another way to leverage the data that you're doing on the marketing and outreach side that I, I absolutely think is brilliant that many business value groups don't do, pro forma business cases. 
you're able to, with a little bit of profile information about a company, proactively prepare a business case, do it for dozens, hundreds of companies, and outreach with it proactively, a kind of summarized pro forma report that says, here's what, where we think you're at and what it's costing you as a business. And here's what we think you can impact. Call us. Yeah. Yeah. That, again, it goes to something, you know, April asked about in terms of automation. And um, again, by leveraging the, the data that are in Coupa, we have been able to sort of understand at the industry level, given say market segments so uh, small companies, sort of corporate level, mid-market companies, and then very large companies, based on the industry they're in, what categories do they purchase? And we have some idea of how Coupa impacts those categories. You know, we have idea what are the optimal buying channels for those categories. We have some idea of if you were to source those categories, how much savings you would achieve. And so because we have that visibility, we can take a company that we don't have their data, but we have some idea of what the likely distribution of spend is across categories and in terms of quantity and then how we would impact that. And through that knowledge, we can, in an informed way, it's it's never perfect because that, that would require actually understanding what their spend looks like and there is variation, but we can say something intelligent uh, about how we think Coupa could impact their business. And that's really entree. It, it, it begins the value conversation yeah. up front, right? Because they understand how we think about value, how it's going to, how it's going to be measured, what KPIs are going to be impacted. And then from that conversation, then we start the journey with them and we start to really refine our understanding. You could go in and you could say, look, we think you have spend across these categories, one of which is legal services. And they'll say, you know, it would be great if we could put legal services through through Coupa, but our legal team would never let it happen. Mm -hmm. And we go, oh, okay, well, we should probably omit that then. Mm -hmm. But then we can talk about what, what about these other categories? So it becomes, it becomes, again, the entree into an ongoing conversation about the delivery of value. And then what happens is post-implementation, as you continue to work with a customer to help them work their way up the maturity curve, you can start to say, say two years down the road, go back and say, well, remember we talked about legal services. Are you, is that still politically impossible to address? Or are you guys ready to start thinking about how you would actually put legal services? And then we can talk about how that works with other customers. What do best practices look mm -hmm. like? And you really start to facilitate this ongoing incremental delivery of value uh, but it begins at the at the very front of the relationship. Mm -hmm. oh, such a great opportunity to start the relationship on the right foot of value and keep it going throughout the life cycle. Um, so Jeff, what is the one piece of advice that you'd like to leave the Enterprise Value Collective with today? The, the advice I would give you is that in, in my experience, the constant striving to tell a better story, to be more data oriented, more specific has yielded massive benefit to Coupa and to our customers. Um, it's one thing to go in and do sort of the thumb in the air and say, well, we think there's X give or take, right? It's another thing to form a partnership 
and have and have it be rooted in the customer's reality. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I would say is is constantly strive, innovate to tell the best story you possibly can. Such great advice, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us on the Value Coffee Talk podcast. Yeah, Jeff. You bet. Uh, Thanks so much. I think you said it right in terms of the actual data. And one of the my favorite things that we didn't get to talk about, maybe we could do it on a subsequent podcast, is the big checks that your customers hold up in their success stories. What a great way for them to convey the value and to stand behind it. I just think that's brilliant. Uh, it, it has been very fulfilling to be part of Coupa. And, uh, you know, we started out talking about how we are constantly changing and transforming. I can't wait to see what comes next. I'm very excited about the future. Us too, and we can't wait for you to share it and so we can learn from some of the best practices. If you haven't done so yet, please sign up for the Enterprise Value Collective. You do that on LinkedIn, GeniusDrive.com website. Stay in touch with us on the latest events, tools, insights. And on the podcast, hit the like button if you like what Jeff had to say. Um, definitely subscribe so you can be notified when the latest episodes are posted. And until next time, our Enterprise Value Collective, let's keep sharing and growing together.